I'm C. And uh, today we are reviewing... Happy the... New Year! Woo! Sorry, I'll had to do it for just a moment. Well, yeah, ha- Happy New Year, everybody. I hope your uh, 2023 is full of wonderment and joy. Yay! Just like this movie. <laughs> what movie's that, Al? The Whale. Directed by Darren Aronofsky, based on the play written by Samuel D. Hunter, who also wrote the screenplay. Who and well, let's dive right in, I guess. Let, okay, so I'm sure all our audience knows that Darren Aronofsky, boy, is that a guy who likes making really bright and sunny movies. Well, when I, what I've learned with Aronofsky is. It's when you sit down. I'm, and I'm being watch totally it. sarcastic, by the way. The oh, guy, I know, but I, I, I don't think the guy knows the definition of uplifting. I think, I think, I think he. You know how some people are colorblind. I think he's optimism blind. He is optimism blind. But what I was gonna say is, I swear to God, now with this movie having ha- been made and seen it, the only thing I wonder with an Aronofsky movie these days is, okay, how literal is the metaphor gonna be? Let's find out. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, Aronofsky is anything if not uh, really heavy with the metaphor. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wanted to open up this discussion, see, with a very, very simple question. With a uh-huh. very simple question. Brendan Fraser. I, I, I know, I know, <laughs> I know you were probably expecting, I know you were probably expecting a question sure. about Aronofsky. Like, Let's what would do, you no, no, but no, the big Brendan question Fraser. is Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, Brendan Fraser. Um, you know, Brendan Fraser, you and I both know who he is. This, this mm-hmm. was a guy who was probably on the upper echelon of the A-list during the 90s, during the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Uh, like, he could not make anything not a hit everything yeah. he touched turned to gold and mm-hmm. see no man george of the jungle the mummy the yeah. fucking mummy right the he mummy, was folks he was would it be safe to say he was pretty much like the chris pratt of the mid to late 90s he 100 percent was hell um the only reason gods and monsters did so well was because he was a co-star in it exactly yeah great movie yeah. but anyways yeah so you know this guy has a You know, he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Everyone seems to love him. And, you know, then the duds started hitting. Yeah. And they started hitting hard. They started hitting really, really hard. And and here's the thing. I some of the duds I actually really like. Okay, that's not true. One of the duds I actually (laughs) really like. (laughs) Which which dud do you like? Oh. Isn't it obvious? Well, it's obvious to me, but it may not be audience to our five listeners. Well, actually it might be. Looney Tunes back in action. Well, we've just talked about Looney Tunes back in action, and you've acknowledged that it's it's two great movies, horribly meshed into one. Exactly, exactly. And but one of the things that kind of keeps it, like the, one of the things that keeps it afloat in a in a haphazard fashion, but still afloat, is the fact that Brendan Fraser goes all in on it. You know, Jen mm-hmm. Elfman not so much, but Brendan Fraser, he's like he's like. Yes, this is a Hollywood slash spy movie that does not work, but God damn it, I'm if I'm acting opposite Daffy Duck, I am acting opposite Daffy Duck, and oh, yeah. he sells it. He fucking sells it. So mm-hmm. to open up the discussion, because listen, ev- everybody who listens to this has an opinion on Aronofsky. Why relitigate that? Let's yeah. talk about Brendan Fraser. So to you. Your your thoughts on Brendan Fraser's early career when he was the biggest one of the biggest stars in the world, 
what do you think about his acting talent? Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of his fall from grace that was totally not organic? He literally just got blacklisted because he had the balls to say, hey, this guy like like sexually assaulted me during the Golden Globes. And, you know, basically he got blacklisted because, you know, doing the right thing is not always uh, appreciated in Hollywood. No. Uh, and basically his his pretty much like acknowledged universally acknowledged comeback. Mm -hmm. So here's how I'll put this. There's always a moment where when you're a kid to teenage eight from when you're a kid and a teenager and you start really getting into movies and start like coming up with your own movie ideas, you have like an actor you automatically picture as the protagonist for a while because you're just a kid and it's just a certain actor just keeps popping into your head. And, you know, you can go through it. There's, there's always a few that go through the Rolodex. But you know an actor's big when this, the default, is that person. And at one point for uh, a minute, Brendan Fraser was that sort of default image I had for, like, all my lead characters. Um, it's just who I pictured. Uh, because I was like, you know, I was barely becoming a teenager and I didn't really know. I, I just pictured a very certain type of way, a, a way a, a leading man in some sort of action movie was supposed to be. But that just goes to show you the sheer uh, power of his fame at one point. Like he, he was George of the jungle and that was huge as a child. Humongous. Everyone, every, Every kid knew about that movie. George, George, George of the Jungle, watch out for that tree. Oh, sorry, I'm going to stop with that. But point being, like, everyone knows that. Everyone knew that. And then, oddly enough, I, so this is, this is ironic and embarrassing, but I didn't get, I really didn't get into The Mummy, but for some weird reason, I think I was just a little too young when The Mummy came out. But for some reason, I really got into The Mummy Returns, which let me be very clear, I know sucks. I understand <laughs> that now. But guess what? In third grade, how would I? You know, in third grade, it's awesome. So I remember seeing that movie. And it, I, I think for a second, as a third grader, it was my favorite movie at one point. Like, I absolutely was just enthralled by it in every possible way. Um so that's kind of where it's like he he starred in a movie. I think every every millennial can say that he starred in one of your favorite movies as a kid in one way or another. Oh yeah. Oh, like he was just that ubiquitous and his fall for me was so like I didn't realize it fully until it had already happened, if that makes sense. Like it was kind of like Looney Tunes came out and then like, oh, wait, he's not in anything anymore. And it took a minute for me to realize, oh, he's not like no one cares anymore. And then, oh, yeah, Inkheart came out and that was another big flop, which was a shame because that wasn't his fault. That was the fault of the director who decided to completely horribly adapt the original book. And after Inkheart, you, you had a... Um you had a drama called Extraordinary Measures, which was well-received. But you know what came immediately after that? What? Fucking Furry Vengeance. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, I know about that one. I've never seen it, but I know about that yeah. one. Jesus. And uh, 
Furry Vengeance was basically the thing that made that pretty much killed his leading man career. Like yeah. he was never offered any anything else significant until, uh, yeah, no, until no, that was it. I mean, yeah, I mean, until Titans, but even then, that's a voice role. Yeah, that was the other thing he did. Well, <clears throat> and that slowly, obviously, that's what slowly brought him back. Yeah, in a way. yeah. First, he gets uh, he gets he gets that role in. Uh, and for those that don't know, Doom Patrol. Yeah. You know, Doom Patrol. He's uh, he plays like one of the leads, but it's only a voice role. But I've low key, I've heard he's great in it. No, yeah, everyone says that he's really, really good in it. And then he does. Um, what was that other TV show he did? The one directed by. Um, uh, the one directed by uh, 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 what's his name? Um, oh gosh, uh, the guy who did Train Spotting. Oh, Danny Boyle. Um, Danny Boyle. What? Yeah, uh, Trust. It was the TV show version of the of the Getty oh, of the Getty right. kidnapping. That's right. He played he played the Mark Wahlberg role in Trust, which okay. people say like he's so much better than Mark Wahlberg. I think everyone that. can agree with that, yes. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Steven Soderbergh hires him in a supporting role in No Sudden Move, which was an HBO Max movie that he was really good in. Mm-hmm. And it's only when he does No Sudden Move that Aronofsky offers him this lead role in The Whale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, this is his first leading role in a movie since Furry Vengeance. But understand... He's about to now. He's gonna be in the new Scorsese movie. Although is he? The, he's not the lead, but still, he's in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the lead in that one is uh, is uh, Leo DiCaprio, which mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. No, that's. Listen, Martin Scorsese is an amazing director, but he kind of goes through the same leads for a while. But that's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's just what he does. Yeah. So Brendan Fraser, to me, uh, like I totally agree with everything you said. He's he's that. He was that leading man where I was like, yeah, he was kind of who I imagined in my head with an adventure movie, you know, like, believe it or not, as a kid, I was like, oh, this guy is like Indiana Jones, except he's newer. Like, even as a kid, I knew like, oh, this is this is Indiana Jones, but it's newer. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked about him, what I really, really liked about him was that he had this sense of sil- he, he wasn't so self-serious, if that makes sense. You know, like it wasn't that he was a clown. It was that you were like, okay, this guy, this guy has like more chill than someone like Indiana Jones or any other action hero that you saw at the time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like when I saw him in comedies, I genuinely thought he had great comedic chops. I, I know a lot of people aren't a fan of this movie, but I really like him in Bedazzled. He's the only reason you should watch. Well, also if you're a young boy, Elizabeth Hurley. But if you watch Bedazzled, you at least will say like, but man, Brendan Fraser was really funny playing all those various alternate versions of himself. Um, he is, he's pretty much like, he, he pretty much made Georgia the Jungle from like, oh, it's just another Disney movie to like, oh, something you could rewatch over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. And like, for God's sakes, he, like, he was so good in Encino Man he convinced Hollywood executives that Paulie Shore was a viable comedic leading man. Who would have thought that? <laughs> yeah, like every like think about it. people when you say Encino Man, people don't say, "Oh yeah, Paulie Shore." They say, "Oh yeah, Brendan Fraser as the caveman teenager dude." Mm-hmm. Right? 
And yeah, for some reason, studio execs were like, wow, this Encino Man did so well. You know what we need to do? Polly Shore. Polly Shore. Right? <laughs> and, and listen, listen, I have a soft spot for Polly Shore, but let's be real here. He should not have had, what was it? Those three or four movies as a comedic leading man because. Well, all, you know. Like, like, like none of them are good. None mm. of them are like, I don't care how much you love Polly Shore. None of the movies after Encino Man are good, except for the goofy, the goofy uh, movie films, because, you know, he, he actually works as like a as like a friend for Max. But anyway, uh, so see, how about you and I watch this trailer for uh, The Whale? Let's and do then it. we discuss how this thing destroyed our destroyed our hearts. Yeah, let's do it. I know these rules can feel constraining, but remember. The point of this course is to learn how to write clearly and persuasively. Think about that. Think about the truth of your argument. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? You don't stay in touch with mom? She really only tells me things about you. Why? Because that's all I want to know about. Why'd you gain all that weight? Someone close to me passed away, and it had an effect on me. You haven't seen her since she was eight years old, and you're going to reconnect with her? Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time, I will shove a knife right into you. I swear to God. Go ahead. What's it going to do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. <laughs> Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Liz. I'm worried that she's forgotten what an amazing person she is. I need to know that she's gonna have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's gonna be okay. watch oh god it's just so guys this movie is an emotional atom bomb is that fair to say yes and i think it's an emotional atom bomb in more ways than one hmm. i i i think you know let's do this quick little thing right before we get into our yeah. review <laughs> There's been a, I don't want to say controversy, but there, there's been a lot of conversation about the whale mm -hmm. and about how it portrays and how it portrays obesity and or if it allegedly kind of tries to, how would I say, make yeah pretty much the conversation is about how it presents obesity but this isn't just your your regular uh standard like obese you know person who's like 300 and some pounds no this is this is that the level of obesity where you, you're pretty much a ticking 
your your days are numbered your your heart's going to explode this 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 is this is a level of obesity where it's like oh this is what happens when you become addicted to food when um when when your body's basically breaking down this is a, this is a level of obesity that is like a a medical condition where where like you basically need to be watched 24/7 because you're you're pretty much destroying your body from the from the inside out um and you know personally i i think i i, I don't agree with the commentators and the critics who say oh darren aronofsky is um is basically objectifying obesity he's basically like he, he's basically like making problematic content about obese people i don't agree with that um there's a particular scene in this movie where we pretty much see the depths of charlie charlie's the protagonist played by brendan fraser where we see the depths of charlie's addiction and his self-destructive behavior and there's no other way to put it it's disgusting it's disgusting and it's hard to look at but aronofsky doesn't direct and present and and show you that because he's trying to mock obese people or he's trying to make you like hate obese people he's just showing you how self-destructive charlie is like you know and he presents it obviously with a bit of a bias because I don't think Aronofsky's ever made a film where he shows you something and you're like, oh, he agrees with what's being shown on screen, you know? Like, with something like Requiem for a Dream, like, the big thing about that was that he was pretty much making the world's greatest anti-drug PSA, mm -hmm. right? And I, I don't think there was ever a discussion about how, like, Requiem for a Dream was problematic about how we should treat and, de and humanize drug dealers or drug users or like, oh, you need to dehumanize drug dealers. I don't think anyone ever made that argument with Requiem for a Dream. I think it would also be fair to say that Requiem for a Dream came out in a very different time. Well, yeah, it came out in a very different time, you know. But even even with stuff like, you know, Black Swan, uh, The Wrestler, Mother, I I think even though the, the, the themes, maybe even whatever message the film's trying to convey can be heavy-handed, I never think that, oh, Aronofsky's showing, well, Aronofsky's showing this because he wants us to hate the thing he's showing us. I think there's only one instance where he did that, um, and that ended up being his most polarized film, Mother. But I think in every other regard, you know, he's basically saying, hey, look at this self-destructive thing. But I'm not going to kind of lean into a, a, a very heavy-handed critique of it. I just want you to see how bad something like obsession can get. Because I think overall, his main concern is always with obsession and how obsession can be destructive. Whether it's this obsession over a drug, obsession over being the best wrestler, obsession over being the best dancer, or obsession over food. Or over, over someone who's gone, you know? Uh, I don't know. See, do, do you have any thoughts about the conversation about the whale? I think so. I I think there are moments in the film that are cruel, really are just cruel at times. And I do... I did question the necessity of some of them. Here's what I'll say. 
genuinely, this film does not work if it weren't for the grade A performances from actually everyone involved. Like well, that, that, that's, that's, I, but that's like, Im- what? That's impressive. And also folks, just to keep in mind, because this is based on a play, there are like, what? One, two, three, four, five. There are five speaking parts, six speaking yeah. parts, but, but five like actual yeah, people leading involved. Yeah. people involved. And, but what I'm saying is that like, like what makes, what saves this film for me are the performances because it, they're so just nuanced and um, they're so fucking nuanced and so good and so engaging. That's I'm using basic words here, but really that's the truth. Like you can't look away at any of the major performances of it. And that's what really works in the movie because there are times in this movie for me, and I don't fully agree with what they're saying about the movie. I don't think Aronofsky is trying to subjugate, subject Charlie to be made fun of. I don't think that's his intention. But I do think the movie is, because of the very nature of the film, it is focused on... on this beyond morbidly obese man. So it's kind of like the people who critique the movie, it's kind of like, well, the only thing I would have I said back to them kind of was like, well, what did you think this was going to be to an extent? Like, what did you think this movie was going to be about? Like we saw the trailers. We know, we know what people were saying. We know it's gut wrenching. We know it's incredibly difficult to watch. I think People do have this sensitivity around around this sort of thing. And that's I think that's a good thing. I think we should have that. That that's a positive thing. We shouldn't, you know, we should be aware of that. But what I'm saying is I see where some of this is coming from, but it's still an incredible movie, but mainly because of the of the performances in it. When I learned this was based on a play, and I actually didn't know that until, like, when I see based on a play in the credits, the moment I saw that, all that popped into my head was, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes a <clears throat> lot of sense. And, and it honestly, that actually made the movie better for me because I was like, man, I'm a little, like... This is really restrictive, and it still works, but it's still very restrictive. And once you see it's based on a play, I'm like, you know what? I guarantee you, and it's funny, I actually just watched another movie that was based on a play called The Humans, and it was the same thing. It's like all restricted to this one space, and I guarantee you, in both cases, had I seen them on stage, I would have liked them a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying I disliked either, but I would have liked them a little bit more. Um, yeah, no, uh, I knew this was based off of play, but I never really had it front of mind. But then as I'm watching the film and I'm just going in my head, I'm just going over and over. I'm like, this is a play. This is a play. This is a, there's, there's one scene in particular happening between, uh, Sadie Sink and Ty Sipkins where I was like, oh, this is the most play 
scene I've ever seen in a while because it's like, of course, they're talking through a closed door, and you immediately can imagine how the the set on the oh, stage. Oh, of course, is set up. you know they they they've got the door, and it's the only thing there. You see either end of it, which honestly, that's what Aronofsky should have done. He should have like, I'm guessing he's. I, I don't know if this play was ever was has it only been written or has it been performed? Do it's been know? performed on uh, in Austin. Okay, so. My thing is, I'd be ve- I'm actually very curious to see how they staged it, because I'm I'm guessing it's similar to the movie, but I'm curious what he took, because I'm guessing he took something, but I don't know. I I will say that something I've heard from people who've seen this as a play and as the movie, they say, well, the movie does what the play just was not good at doing, which is presenting this very very obese man, because in the play they just kind of use a very simple fat suit. Mm-hmm. Um, that just totally destroys your immersion of the story. Sure. And obviously, Aronofsky has the ability and the makeup people and the SFX people mm-hmm. to create a photorealistic fat suit. And my God, by the way, let's yeah. be clear. Yeah. Holy um, shit. So right, right before, right before we talk about, I think the the big thing to talk about is the cast. Yeah. But right before we talk about that, let me just give a very quick. Uh, synopsis of the film. Sure. Uh, Brendan Fraser plays this very, very, very obese man uh, named uh, Charlie. <clears throat> uh, Charlie is basically has basically allowed himself to get this morbidly, this fatally obese lo- way uh, because you know his 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 gay lover, his his partner, his pretty much his his spouse and everything but name. Uh, has died and through the grief through just not being able to accept that his partner the love of his life is gone he basically is slowly eating himself to death and pretty much we when we when we meet him he's pretty much realized oh i don't got long to live so the main thing he wants to do is reconnect with his daughter and you know kind of kind of leave her in a better place as he believes he's about to, to die while this is happening uh this uh evangelist comes knocking at his door and he basically comes wrapped in charlie's life we also meet the unofficial nurse that's taking care of him uh named liz mm-hmm. and yeah then we it's basically a countdown as his days are numbered pretty much mm-hmm. um so this cast like i said this is no this, this is really a cast of four um, this is a cast of four: Brendan Fraser, who plays Charlie; Sadie Sink, who plays his daughter Ellie; uh, Hong Chow, who plays his, Charlie's friend and nurse Liz; and uh, our fourth lead, because they're really, really like, even though it's really just them. Really. Well, well what was I going to say is that even though Charlie is the protagonist, it's really like an ensemble piece, and all four are pretty important. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I said his name earlier. See, do you know who played Thomas, the the last character? I only know this because I was looking at the cast. It's um, he was in. Uh, I didn't realize. I didn't recognize him at all. But he was in Iron Man three and no. uh, a few other things too. Well, well, he he got famous because he was Insidious. the kid in Insidious. That's right. Yeah. And he was in Iron Man three, uh, did Jurassic World, disappeared for a bit. And like he shows up in Avengers Endgame, and people are like, "Who the who, who's that guy?" And uh, when they found, they're like, "Oh my God, that's Ty Simpkins!" And this is really his big return. Like 
as an actor. And mm -hmm. I got to say, I was really, really impressed. Because you think like, oh, he's just someone who's going to pop in and not never come back. He actually has a pretty sizable role in the film. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think we should go into who the fifth role is. Um, because it's 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 supposed it's not a spoiler, but you're not supposed you, to be. You shouldn't know. You, you shouldn't know. Yeah, you shouldn't know. Yeah. Um. So. Let Let me just say, and I think so. You would agree. Brendan Fraser's winning the Oscar. Yeah. I I he, listen. It, it's one of those things where it's like, not only is he giving probably the best performance of his career so far. Yeah. He's doing it in what must be the most uncomfortable uh, prosthetics that could be put on a man. Can I also point out he's doing it in, and listen, I'm not blaming anybody for this, but we, I think we know he's doing what the Academy fucking loves. Let's oh, yeah. be clear. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that helps. Yeah, no, it's like one of the things, kind of what I mentioned earlier about Brendan Fraser, that he always had this like chill, like, I said he was always more chilled than all the other action heroes. What I really meant to say is that as an actor, he always allowed his characters to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. he, and as an action star, that's really rare, mm -hmm. you know, especially in the mid to late nineties. Like you didn't mm -hmm. see that. And he always allowed himself to play vulnerable characters. So he's really, really good at that. And oh, very. my God, there are some scenes that Brendan Fraser has that you go from, laughing over a little joke he tells or a little snide comment he made to to sometimes you'll be crying because just of how much he's being he's either being verbally uh abused or how much he's just wallowing in the depths of his of his self-destructive addiction mm -hmm. it's it's some really i say powerful but i might even say stuff that's just it's really hard to watch and brendan fraser always grounds it with just this level of humanity that he gives to the character that you're like oh i i don't want to watch not because not because i'm disgusted over the actual act but because it just it just hurts to see this guy just this guy slowly killing himself you know yeah it There's, hurts it, it the hurts scene, the scene we were referencing earlier which i don't think we should say i actually had to turn away for a second oh, I, was... I, I i had to turn away too I was, there's a moment that happens and I hear he is, he is in pain. You can tell. And it happens. And I'm like, I, cause I brought a friend of mine with me, um, that, you know, basically we catch up whenever I'm in Baltimore and I, I noticed he had to look away too. It is such a visceral scene where I'm just like, okay, I don't, it, you know what it is? Remember when until you talked about how there's a moment and let I'm not going to, we're not comparing either to be clear. That's yeah, not, yeah. there's no reason not doing that. But remember when you said to yourself, I shouldn't be here. When that scene happened, I said, I shouldn't be here. This is, I, I should not be here for this. I should not be watching this. Like there's that, that moment, which credit to Aronofsky. He's very good at doing yeah. those. I shouldn't be here. I don't think I'm supposed to see this moment. Exactly. And replicating it perfectly on screen. So credit to him there. Like my yeah. God, who, you know, cause it got to me. Yeah. I, I guess you would agree. See that what, Brendan Fraser does masterfully with the role of Charlie, with the character of Charlie, mm -hmm. is that he's able to balance like the humanity that Charlie deserves to get, 
with just the tragedy of, of what he is. You know, this is a man who lost the love of his life and he's pretty much slowly killing himself because the love of his life is gone. Yeah. And as the movie progresses, we find out why the love of his life is gone. Uh, and it becomes and how it affected everyone around. Yeah. And it's, it's like, well, damn, that's, ugh, that's like, like you realize that it kind of connects in a really, in a really sad, tragic way that he's kind of killing himself in the inverted way that his, his lover killed themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to watch and it's hard to listen to, but it, it, it is what it is. Um, and then like our, so she's credited fourth, but she really should be credited second. Hong Chow as Liz, his, his friend and his nurse. First off, she's going to get a fucking nomination for supporting. Holy oh, yeah. shit. Oh yeah. Holy oh, yeah. shit. There are moments in that. And actually, I will say her reveal, like what you learn about her is the best oh, yeah. of the movie. Because in that moment, that was the only moment where I'm like, I want to know more about you. Like, that was the only moment where I'm like, oh, this movie should be about her now. I want to know about her. Because mm-hmm. whole, I'm not going to say it, but holy shit, when you put it together, like certain things... Oh my God! You know, and what, she nails it. What she does so well is that um, it hmm. is the most her version of what that character's supposed to be is the most realistic version of what that character's supposed to oh, be. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. that's what fucks me up. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I believe a real person reacting in that way. Okay, it's not a performance; yeah. it is reality. Yeah, what what she does so so well in this is, and, and you know. All four of, of the actors in this movie. So I, I, I'll, I'll go more in depth with it after we kind of go through our quick reviews of each character. Yeah. But what she does so well is that this, this is a very, very flawed person. Maybe someone who's doing something pretty, I, I don't want to say evil, but she's doing something that's very unethical. Very, very unethical. Um, but she's able to add this humanity and kind of like she's, she's able to ground her character in, in levels of like realistic. She's also grieving. She's also suffering and also kind of how like her very flawed ways of coping with that. Like, like listen on paper, her character would be something that, normally would be very very despicable you'd be like oh my god like like in a lesser movie in a lesser movie she would be the she would be the bad guy she would be or or at the very least she would be the obstacle to the happy ending i would say that she there's a way yes there's a way you make her the antagonist there really is yeah but 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 credit to aronofsky and obviously to the original writer samuel hunter uh they're not very interested in doing a simple story of good guys and bad guys. They're kind of doing this. The, ugh, I, ha- I hate to say this, but they're, they're kind of doing this critique on the human condition, which, which I know people are probably rolling their eyes, but it's true. It's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes her character so great is the fact that she's grounding in on the level of humanity that you just can't deny. You can't just dismiss her and be like, Oh, what you're doing is horrible. You're like, Oh, what you're doing is horrible. But, I know you're, I can feel your pain. You, you're, you're communicating your pain, your suffering, your conflicted emotions. I feel it. Right. And here's the thing. 
she she has like a couple of extended scenes with Brendan Fraser, but she's pretty much come and go, which again is very typical of a play. Well, that's that... also that's what the that's the strongest play aspect of this is all the characters are very come and go. Oh yeah, but I would say she's the most because at the very least Sadie Singh's character Ellie has mm-hmm. extended scenes with uh with Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of Sadie Singh. Mm-hmm. Listen. All of us were pretty impressed by the shit she pulled in uh, the Stranger Things season four, mm-hmm. part one. We were like, holy shit. This, this, like, she went from like the fourth best actor mm-hmm. of the kids to probably now the best actor of the kids. Uh, like, yeah, uh, yes, or tied with the, tied with the best of the kids. Tied with the best. Um, and this, this really just put her ahead, of, for me, put her ahead of the pack. Um, only, only because like, it's very easy, like, okay. And see, I'm sure you would agree on paper. The daughter Ellie is probably the weakest written character. Well, that's what I'm going to say. So if that's what I completely agree. In fact, the only time I got a little, the only time I noticed, oh, this is weird writing is her writing is the weakest. Oh yeah. Of the movie. Please, please elaborate on your thoughts. Her writing is the weakest because, and I understand why the writer did this, but she treads on familiar territory whenever, every time she comes back to see Charlie, she's treading over this same familiar territory. I get that was intentional, but it's so clear and so like repetitive. It's the only time where you're like, I get why an actual person would be like this, but this is a movie and we need you to have some growth and development. And the problem is like throughout the whole movie, she kind of does the two step forward, one step back until then at the end, you don't even see the seven steps forward. She made, it's just, she's just there like at the last part of the last scene. And I didn't a hundred percent buy that. I'm like, really? I don't know if I'm there with you. Again, her performance, top notch, without a doubt. But it's just she's she's the only character treading water, irony being called the whale. But because of that, it's weird. You ever either read a book, watch a movie, or watch a play where you know that what they're doing, what the writer did was intentional, but you still don't agree with it? Yes, yes. That's, and that's, that's yeah. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, I know it's like, okay, I completely understand why the writer's doing this and I get it. And like, if he had pitched it to me, it's like, no, I understand why you're doing that. But the problem is you either need to hide it better, like, or you need to not do it. And that's the problem. It's like, there is genuinely, so long story short, she has the longest sessions, as you mentioned with Charlie. And she's in there and she's sort of, but there's two scenes where it's like, you're in the same fucking chair and you're kind of saying the same shit and you're kind of doing the same thing. The only difference between the two is that you then, in the second one, you come in contact with another character. That's the only difference. It kind of breaks it up a bit, but otherwise you're doing the same exact thing. And it, 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 that got to me a little bit. Okay. So The way the trailers sold it, and, and well, actually, let me let me kind of step back a bit. I totally agree with you, see. On paper, like, I was like, I get the writer's intention, but, like, how it comes off is so reductive to, like, the overall story and the character herself. Yeah. 
She Same. keeps, you know what it is? She keeps, she keeps beating him while he's down. And it's like, I understand, but we don't have context. We don't have years of emotional context that you have. And, and, and here's, here's what would be my argument was that Sadie Sink, just through her nonverbal acting, is not there, but very, very close to kind of making it all fit. Does that make sense? Like that that's what yeah. I mean when I say, oh, she's she's the best actor of the Stranger Things kids because she took a role that that just like in a in a better world, in a in a in a more in, in my better world, would have gone through a couple of rewrites to kind of make it all fit. And by the strength of her performances, she almost does it. She's not quite there, but she almost does it. Where I was like, give this to anyone else. You would have you would have brought the movie down several levels, mm-hmm. but the strength of your performance, you really keep it just go down one level when you when when your character's on screen. Yeah. But all the criticisms you have about her character, I had I had as well. I, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, wow, your character is not what the what the trailers sold you as, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know you know and you think oh well that character's not going to be in this movie. But that character that you're expecting in the trailers is in this movie. And that's Thomas played by Ty Simpkins. He mm-hmm. plays this missionary who is who kind of literally bursts into Charlie's world and he sees he sees kind of the suffering that Charlie's going through both by what he what what he lost and what he's doing to his own body. And he desperately wants to understand Charlie and and in, and his in his own flawed way help Charlie, um, so he really is the character we were all expecting Ellie to be to be like, oh, I'm I'm trying to understand you, I'm trying to help you, I mm-hmm. I I, and you know ultimately you grow by having that experience with Charlie and and I gotta say, Thomas, how do I put this, Charlie Charlie obviously was was quite frankly, the best written character. Mm-hmm. But Thomas is such a fascinating, like Thomas to me was the, was the quote unquote fascinating, the character where you're like, wow, there are many ways to take this. Uh, like I said, he's a missionary. He's a very, very devout missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, he has his own issues. Uh, but Darinowski does this really interesting thing where he's building up Thomas to be a certain thing. And then he kind of does a he kind of does a, a subversive thing with the character, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's it's a more richer experience because I think it ties into something that I don't know if Aronofsky's very aware of this, but something I really want to discuss later on. But but see, what were what were your thoughts on the character of Thomas? Thomas. Thomas was interesting because he yeah he took. He was the audience in a lot of ways. Like he was the out the completely outside perspective on the situation. Really didn't know much. You know, came in at a very unique moment with Charlie, which I'm not going to say. Um and just no yeah. Truly what I think of Thomas is he was a representation of what the audience is supposed to be. And yes, he has his own development. He has his own unique arc. But because that arc only ha that arc 
I didn't mind that his conclusion that 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 Thomas's conclusion was flawed in the end, that his the 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 point he reached was not good, um, but honestly, honestly for me he was the audience. I, I just keep going back to that. He was the audience. He was the outside perspective, and he and it works very well. But I think almost to subvert expectations. They then have him reach this flawed conclusion that he reaches. And I'm wondering if that was just intentionally put in there to flip the script. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah. So, th- so now I want to talk about kind of my big idea about the film. Sure. I think, uh, listen, uh, everyone who knows me knows that up until Mother, I could take or leave Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, uh, uh, Requiem for a Dream, you know, I've seen it. I was impressed by it and kind of horrified by it. Uh, you know, I own Black Swan on Blu-ray. I watched The Wrestler and was impressed by it, but never cared to watch it again. Um, You know, Noah, I, I'll be honest, I never cared to see Noah, uh, only for, for the simple reason that, like, as a kid who grew up with a lot of Bible stories, I, I'm like... Noah is the last story I ever want to see because that was like always the de facto story told in my childhood. If I um, may add, I like Noah. I like what Noah could have been is all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, but when I saw Mother, I was Ooh. like, I was we like. We saw that together. We did. And the one thing I kept in mind is like, well, Aronofsky really told me what he thought about Christian based morality and the kind of the Christian based worldview. Like yep. he really told me what he thought about it, and it was compelling. Like, like we had a whole talk about it that could have been like a its own podcast. But I, I remember yeah. we talked about it, and I was like, "Wow!" I just, I just, wow. We talked about it at Buffalo Wild Wings. That was, <laughs> that was a moment. And it, yeah. that whole okay, that movie. Here's the thing with that movie. Um, whatever conclusion people reach with that movie, I'm like, I can see how you got there. That's yeah. my thing with it. It's like, yeah. Yeah, and when when it was in, when it was revealed that Jennifer Lawrence said that she like she views filming that movie as traumatic, it's like I see how you got there. No, yeah, no kidding. I see how you got there. I, I don't now, blame you for that. Now, here's the thing, though. So, I I never could bring myself to watch that again. No, but you know what? The Whale is probably the first Aronofsky movie where I like. I'm so fascinated by it. I need to rewatch it again. And really. I, yeah, so because so, okay. so 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 Aronof- I'm, I'm not there, but go on. Ar- Aronofsky has made has finally made a movie where I'm like I I want to rewatch this again, and here's why. So wait, okay, if I may, I'm sorry. If if that's the first one, why do you have Black Swan on Blu-ray? Uh, I got it as a gift. Gotcha. Okay. Because you know, that's but, for the record, that's the one that I have rewatched uh, once. I, I've rewatched it just to be like, guys, you want to see like the movie. Or Natalie Portman won the Oscar, sure, and you know I show it to them. Yeah. So, this is so fascinating. This, this film, I I don't know if the play is the same way, probably. Mm-hmm. And I I, it's so weird that it really does seem that Aronofsky, and and also I would say ironically enough the uh, the uh, uh, oh god I'm not blanking the other day. The guys who did uh the guy the guys who did Good Time. Oh, um, the Safety Brothers. The Safety Brothers. 
Okay, so ironically, both are New York are, are New York artists with Jewish backgrounds. I, I don't know if the Safdie brothers are observant Jews, but I do know that uh, Darren Aronofsky is a, a declared atheist, but he, mm -hmm. you know, he was still raised Jewish. It's so fascinating how they create these stories that really follow a very clear Christian moral rules, I would say. What the Safety Brothers, what they do, and see, you and I have talked about this before, is that they create, the, they create these stories about these very, very, very flawed people. They're compelling, but they're flawed. And on some level, they are morally flawed, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you and I have talked about how the reason I love the Safety Brothers so much is that their protagonists, even though these flawed people are their protagonists, their main characters, they never, ever have them quote unquote, get away scot-free. There's mm -hmm. always there's always a karmic price to pay, right? Mm -hmm. There's always a karmic price to pay. Even even when they humanize and they make us kind of root for the bad guy, they're still like, but the world's got to kind of, there's Which they're great at, by they're, the way. They're really good at, that's why I love them so much. <laughs> yeah. That I, I tell people all the time that I love the Safety Brothers because they create movies about villains but they always have a very clear like moral framework on their films. And, and for the record, even in their earlier works, they're just movies about really shitty people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, but they and it's not that they rub their hands and go like, "Look how how these shitty people get their come up." It's it's more like, "No, these are the consequences." You know, the the consequences are what the consequences are. And Aronofsky does the same thing, and it what appears to here is that he's created a film that's really a study of four and then soon five people with moral failings. These people have moral failings, right? Uh, Charlie has a very obvious moral failing. Uh, Hong Chao's Liz has a very obvious moral failing. Like like one, one that in another movie, she would have been the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Sadie Singh's character, Ellie, has a very apparent moral failing. Where you're like, where you're like, why is your character like this? Like it's 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 off-putting. Mm -hmm. But you realize, and, and uh, Ty Simpkins Thomas has a moral failing. And, and here's the ironic thing: the movie sets it up as him not having one, and he comes to a conclusion where you would say, okay, that's his moral failing. But then him and Charlie have a confrontation, and he says something to Charlie. And at the end, you're like, oh, no, no, that's your moral failing. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you admitted to something that is, quite frankly, unchristian un in, in every sense of the word. Well, you also admitted to something that you kept saying the opposite of for the exactly, longest time. Exactly, exactly. And then it was like he went, he completely went there. Yeah, and he screams it, and Charlie goes like, oh, uh, uh, sorry I made you go that. And the other... And this is why I'm like, wow, Ty Simpkins is going to go places. The shame on his face when he realizes, oh, wow, I'm I'm ultimately still a very, very, very heavy sinner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's quite amazing. And this is this is character pieces about people who sin. Their sins are apparent. But what Darren Aronofsky wants to do is say, like, no, look, these sinners are still human. And this is why you relate to them. You relate to Charlie because he's going through a very intense level of grief and guilt, you know, of what he's done. You you understand why Ellie is the way she is. You know, it's just 
you know, the the problem with, with her with her flaw, her moral failing, is that ultimately it becomes up in the air whether whether she can overcome that or not. I I understand the intention behind it, but it, that just makes the ending very unsatisfying because you're like, but what about Ellie? Like, is she gonna she get good? Over, is she good? She, is she gonna she, get over this? Or 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 is what people say about her real? In which case, the movie becomes even more of a downer. Like with Thomas, when you see his face, you're like, okay, you're not there yet. But at the very least, you acknowledge that you admitted that you're you're doing something that you know is wrong. The only one you know f- comes around full circle, honestly, is the nurse. Yeah. Liz. She, she, Liz fully figures it out. She figures it out too late and she knows she figures it out too late, but she figures it out. Like even you can even make the argument that she knows what she's throughout the entire movie, what she's doing is wrong. And, and here's the thing guys, like when you're watching the movie, like what I love about what Aronofsky did here is that, so we're not going to talk about what it is. That's Liz moral failing, mm-hmm. but it's pretty obvious. Um, I'd but, say it's obvious by, uh, by the second act. Yeah. What what makes it so stark is that Aronofsky doesn't do this beat where you're like, where you're like, oh, what she's doing is wrong. There's no. this beat where he goes like, hey, Liz. And she goes like, oh, yeah, right. And you're just watching that. And as an audience member, it just dawns on you like, wait, wait a minute. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, oh, my God. Like, like it all connects in your head. But you just feel more sad. Yeah, That's the yeah. Because you see that and you look at her and you're like, oh, Jesus. It, okay. And, oh. and the thing is, like, listen. The stereotype that, like, movies that have a quote-unquote Christian messages are bad. Like, the ones that are... I'll, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit... The church-produced movies, you know, the pure, the quote-unquote pure flicks movies, they usually suffer from the fact that they just refuse to, to, to reflect the real world. They, they either reflect this cartoonish version of the world created by evangelical Christians, or they reflect like this, this perfect, no cursing, everything is rated G world that just doesn't exist. And, and it, yeah. it just sucks. It just sucks. I'm sorry. It just, fireproof sucks, people. Fireproof war, sucks. <laughs> war Room is trash. War, the War on Christmas, every Kirk Cameron movie he's made sucks. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that an, uh, an atheist with a Jewish background is able to create compelling uh, cinema with a, with a Christian moral framework, whether, whether he knows it or not. Like, like that's the crazy thing. I watch this. I'm like, wow, this is this is weirdly a really Christian movie, but it has a lot of shit to say against organized religion. That's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. I don't know if it was the intention, but the fact how all the characters play out where I'm like these like in a lesser movie, these are like even Charlie would come off horribly because you're like, dude, you're killing yourself. Like like your attitude is so toxic and self-destructive, but. Aronofsky wants to humanize these people and he humanizes them in, in very simple ways. Ellie is a little girl who's hurt over what her dad did to her and her mom. Uh, Charlie's a heartbroken man. Liz is someone who's gone through varying levels of trauma. And Thomas is a kid who did something stupid and doesn't know how to fix it. Th- these are things we can relate to. But then when on the flip side, he shows us kind of the shitty things these people do to each other wow like i'm like wow i i i still can relate and and again 
it's it's very rare to see that in films these days and you know i don't know how aronofsky does it it's it's one of those things where i'm like you might be disgusted by the things he puts on screen but god damn it he really tries to make you see the humans that are these flawed broken people so let me let me add that i i enjoyed this movie but if i can come at it from a different perspective I do think that there are this movie and we have been getting that, but I do want to emphasize this movie does not work without the incredibly strong performances that it has. Oh yeah. Because here's, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I, I said this a little earlier. If, if a lesser actor, if you cast a lesser actor for any of these roles, suddenly Liz becomes the villain the daughter becomes a brat. Thomas becomes two-dimensional. And Charlie becomes a really uncouth joke, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. And here's the thing, though. But Because, yeah, you have lesser actors, and all of a sudden, that's what you have. You're like, wait a minute. This is wrong. Something's not right here. This is not okay. And, but what sells it is the sheer, like, stock in humanity that all these people are putting out there. And that's, but that's the thing. It's like, I, I, it's like, I can't, and, and listen, I loved Black Swan and I still very much enjoy it. I think everyone has an Aronofsky film and now we found yours, Al, that, people truly connect with. Like I met people who really connected with mother and I'm like, what? (laughs) But anyway, like it's a lot to talk about, but like when you connect with, if you connect with a mother on an emotional level, I have questions, but I met, I've met a couple people like that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, we've talked about how in the past, how Aronofsky is a very biased filmmaker I think in certain ways that works to his benefit because he'll never catch everybody. He's not an audience all director. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not. He's never pretended to be. But there's there's a reason why Fox was like, you know what? We don't want to make your version of Wolverine. Yeah, because I heard about what that was and I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. I think you even, yeah, you told me about that right before we went to see Mother. And I'm like, okay, I can see why no one wants to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Fine. As interesting as it would have been. But I think what happens with Aronofsky is he puts it out there and then a fourth to a third of the audience will be like enraptured by it. Oh, yeah. Like I was in as a as a high school teen, as a high schooler who went to an arts high school, I was enraptured by Black Swan. I was taken aback by it. Then in college, I saw Perfect Blue and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, so be it. But what I'm getting at is, in this case, for me, where I wasn't as enraptured with the direct, the, the narrative direction of the movie, I was more enraptured by, by the performances. When you break down what the movie is, just or when you break down the play and you break down the shot design and the cinematography, Darren Aronofsky has done better shot design, and he has, and he has. There has been better cinematography in his movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would actually argue significantly so 
his strongest cinematography being in Black Swan and Mother. And you've got a case also for um, for uh, the the wrestler as well. But either way, because those other because the actors go so up to bat, Aronofsky, I fear, kind of he'll argue no if you ask him. But I think he realized the gem of a cast he had gotten and was able to fall back on their laurels. Whether he knowingly did this or not, I think he did. And I have to bring that up. Like, there are shots in here where I'm like, okay, this is getting repetitive. We're doing this again. We're doing that again. And you actually brought you actually brought up a good point. The whole sequence where uh, Thomas and the daughter are separated by just a door... It's that sequence. I would argue is actually very poorly shot. Oh no! I I something I wanted to add straight up. Darren Aronofsky has not conquered the dreaded uh, point and shoot uh, strategy of adapting a play. This isn't as bad as Fences was. No, no, Fences was the, my god. But so, folks, Fences was was an August Wilson play adapted to the screen by Denzel Washington. And let's be clear, it's one of the it's it's one of the greatest American it's it's in the top 20 of American plays. Let's be clear. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. Denzel Washington seemed to just request the DP to be like, "All right, let's just do a two shot or a group shot and that's it." There is no creative cinematography in that movie. And eventually you kind of zone out cuz you're like, "This is a play. I'm watching a very fancy play." Mm-hmm. And you know, that's probably the lowest it can get. They're probably worse films that are shot like as a play but yeah Aaron Lynn listen Aronofsky has a reputation of being very creative with his shot design but here it's just there's one good sequence which is the first time Charlie gets up with it with his walker and that's it actually I would say when he when he goes to bed and he turns off his lamp there's an interesting lighting sequence that happens if you look not lighting sequence that's not the right word but when the lamp sort of moves back and forth yeah and yeah, you yeah. see the way his shadows are yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. that's interesting that, all that from when he gets up to when he needs to go to bed is the only visually interesting thing about this movie. Yeah. And like, I, I just go to like, literally, I don't know, see what your thoughts were, but my thought was like, when, when I realized, Oh, he really can't seem to get out of the constraints of, of filming, filming something that was a play. I was like, wow, not even Aronofsky can escape that. Wow. Um, I, I can't think of a director who has off the top of my head. But it's very disappointing because he's working with the people he's worked with his entire career. Maddie Labique. Uh, this is a, this is a guy who made like the, you know that point of view cam that's like on a, that's like on your shoulders and yeah. pointed at you. He he jump started that. Like he, this is a guy who knows how to create a dynamic shot, and in this movie they they're just not. They're 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 pretty. Wrote. Well, what it is also because so I I get that like. So, guys, fun fact, 90% of this movie takes place inside this man's house, okay? Which 90, I would say 99%. 99%, even. Actually, you, you know what? You're right. 99.9999% of the movie takes place inside his house. Fine. I get that, you know. But here's the thing, though. Here's the problem. He did, mo- the last movie he did was Mother, 
which also 99.9999% of that movie took place inside a house. Now, putting aside the very obvious differences of what happens in those two movies, prior to those obvious differences, Aronofsky makes that work. So why can't he make this work? That, yeah, dude, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, dude, you did Mother. How, how could, like, and again, it went back to, I think, like, the way the scenes play out is very play-like. And I think he just, he had no idea what to do about it. Like, but uh, I don't, but I don't understand how he did it before, but it's like, wait, you did this. Just take the same thing you did in Mother, which, yes, it was all in one house, but he made that. And again, putting aside clear, obvious differences, he made it incredibly dynamic by having these interesting jump cuts and these like things you didn't quite see but saw later. Like it was done very well. And I'm not saying make it like mother, but like if you showed me you can do that, then you can do this. But instead, it's this very static, occasionally slow-moving camera that goes to these different things. Like, okay, there's a scene that we there's a room we see, okay? In, in his house. And that's a real opportunity to really shoot that or really do something there. Instead, it's just this single static shot of the room and then a few close-ups. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. Really? There's um, the only... So the film is shot so simplistically, but there was a moment in the film where the simplicity of the, of the camera scenes and or the simplicity of how the shot of how the shots were framed and how they were cut between each other there was one moment where it worked really well sure there's a bit role here a very very tiny tiny role it's mostly yeah. a voice role right yeah. it's mostly a voice role eventually we see the person who the voice is attached to or where the voice comes from <laughs> it's the quickest reaction shot it's not a super quick... It's a standard reaction shot. And again, credit to the casting. When you see that face, what you see on that face is so clear and it, it, it conveys... But also real. It isn't, like fa it isn't like acted. It's like, oh, you can see someone reacting that way. Yeah. It's so real. It, it's so true to life. Like, it, it, like I, remember, I watched it. I was like, yeah, that'd probably be my face too. And then you just kind of sit and dwell on that that's the only time that simplistic editing the simplistic camera design works because you're not expecting it you're not the the, the mm -hmm. film plays out variations of the scene throughout it and when you see that you're like holy shit it just hits you and you're like because because there was no fancy camera move to like say set up like oh there's going to be a reveal mm -hmm. right that's the only time it worked everything else you're kind of like okay cut it's a shot, reaction shot, back to the A shot. And it's like, I mean, it works. I mean, it's been the standard for 100 years at this point, but you're still kind of yeah. like, wow, Aronofsky, the guy who who kind of who, who, who kind of jump-started all these crazy camera angles mm -hmm. and cuts and stuff and transitions. And this is a very, by his standards, it's a very, very rote, like, like aesthetic. You made pie, dude. What is this? Exactly, exactly. Now, I, I will also add one other opportunity he had is we see this in the... <clears throat> <clears throat> mm. 
one opportunity he had is that we see in the trailer he's some sort of a teacher. He teaches online courses, okay? And it's through the equivalent of Zoom, basically. A bunch of shared screens that they're all talking with each other, so to speak. And I'm not saying you had to be super dynamic with that, but like there have been movies now that have taken that whole element of showing a video call and doing something somewhat unique with it. Hell, there's been a couple movies around the whole thing and they dude he, he Blumhouse movies do a better job and at he just shoots that. it as is and i'm like there you could do something more with that you could and he didn't he doesn't and i'm like I, you know what i'm convinced what the play did was probably more interesting in that case mm-hmm. i don't know how he did it i don't know what it was he did differently in the play but it's like i don't know if we see those people in some other way but there's something to do there but no they it's just that. And I'm like, okay, that's what you choose to do. Exactly. I, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I have to say that was the biggest disappointment in the movie for me, was just how uninspired the shot design and the editing was. But again, the performances are so overwhelmingly good. And, and the thematic material is so overwhelmingly rich that I can forgive it a little bit, a little bit, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, I think it, I think all we need to say is that the prosthetics on on Brendan Fraser are photorealistic. It looks real. I I never felt I was looking at you know how in a lot of fat suits it's it's like the actor's face yeah with like a fake chin yeah I never got the sense with that with uh with with Brendan Fraser. Uh, one of the things they do really well is that is that they still keep prosthetics on him when he was quote unquote normal sized, mm-hmm. and he's still he's still fatter than he is in real life. Mm-hmm. But you're like, okay, I can totally see that guy turning into this guy. Can Not- I also sorry what we're gonna say? No, you you go ahead. No, but I agree with you. You can see him they don't use regular what Brendan Fraser still looks like like looks like in real life. They make an adjustment to it. But on a side note, can I say twenty twenty two, interestingly enough, possibly one of the greatest press movie eras of years of makeup, apparently. Like, oh, yeah, been really great years. Like, that's going to I actually am going to be very interested to see who gets not. Well, I have a feeling I know who's nominated, but I'm going to be very interested to see, to see who wins of those nominees for makeup. Oh, yeah. Because they were all great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, see, any final thoughts on the film or are you ready to give your rating? I think my final thoughts will be in my rating and I'll explain why. Do you want to go first? Uh, no, you go first. Sure. So... <clears throat> This is a movie with performances that fuck. And they don't just fuck, they fucking floor you. But it's a movie for two reasons. One, the direct the 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 disappointing direction and shot design from a director that we know it can be incredibly dynamic. And I also believe that because I strongly believe with lesser actors, even the script is dwindled down. Because unless the characters are talking with with uh, with Brendan Fraser, with his character, it, the dialogue that's going on isn't that interesting. Everything that's good is in relation to Brendan Fraser's character. Now, yeah. granted, most of the movie is Brendan Fraser's character, Brendan Fraser talking with other characters. But there are scenes where that's not the case. And those scenes really don't have a lot to offer. 
so then it's like, okay, so really it's all about what Brendan Fraser's doing. The other factor is the best reveal isn't even with him, in my opinion. The best reveal is with his his nurse, his caretaker. Oh, by far, yeah. So, but then you'd argue, well, doesn't that make it a stronger movie because it's not all about, all about one character? Yes, but the reveal... The reveal we get in Brendan Fraser's character, because we kind of learn a lot pretty quickly with what Brendan Fraser's all his character's all about and what he's trying to do. We have this one reveal, and it's not that good. It's like, okay, that's interesting. I'm a little confused why certain characters are so upset by it, but okay. But then you have this other reveal, which is fucking fascinating and the play doesn't really explore it that much because it actually can't because if it does then you you divert too much from the original purpose of the movie mm-hmm. but you have such an interesting thing with what the nurse is going through they, like at the third act or towards the end of the second act beginning of the third act when it's revealed when 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 you fully realize that you're like oh my god i only want to know about this now but if that but you can't you you don't get to because the movie's Got like 20 more minutes left. <laughs> yeah. So, but because of that, it's like you watch this and you're like, uh, that means this happens and that means that happens. And that means I don't know how strong of a story this is. It's still very strong. And I have no doubt it's going to get nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, if I were to guess. But it's so reliant on the performances that I'm just like, I can't I I can't give the movie itself higher accolades which actually leads to some of the criticism people are giving it it like it lets those wiggle in a little bit. So this is a movie with performances that absolutely will fuck you to to your core. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm going to be a little bit more gracious to this movie. I agree. This is a movie with performances that fuck and, you know, it fucks. Brendan Fraser fucks because he's given the toughest role in his career and he just knocked it out of the park. He injects that vulnerability and humanity in Charlie that's desperately needed for something like this. And he succeeds. Sadie Sink gives a character that is, is you understand the intention, but it's very flawedly written. And she like she doesn't make it work, but she almost gets there. And that's impressive for, for someone who hasn't been in the business that long. Ty Simpkins, the stuff he does with his character, where he is a fully realized, Thomas is a fully realized character and human being, is impressive. And again, this is a guy who's been out of the game for a bit. You know, he was a kid actor who all he had to do was be like, look scared because of the dinosaur or the demon or the robots that tried to kill Iron Man. And he's... Like, this is really good stuff. And ugh, the stuff Hong Chao does. Oh, my God. The stuff her character goes through. The things she has to communicate non-verbally because, you know, it's everything's got to be about Charlie. But she has this arc she's going through as well. And she's dealing with these horrible things she's doing and the horrible things she's witnessing. Oh, my God. Like, you're right. She should be nominated for Best Supporting Actress. In a just world, she will be. But who knows how things are going to go. There are a lot of actress performances, both in leading and supporting, that really fuck this year. Oh, yeah. By the way. Like, like, when we look at the nominees, it's going to be, like, because fun facts, folks, we like to kind of make, not actually gambling, but we like to bet on who's going to win. 
the supporting and leading actress role nominations, that's going to be the tough, the two most difficult categories. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, kind of the things we talked about earlier that bring it down. It doesn't bring it out to a movie, but it does bring it down to barely a flush. The, the, the directing choices are a bit uninspired, which is which normally you'd be like, oh, this is really good directing. But when you see Aronofsky, you're like, dude, what? Like, you, I, I expected so much more uh, because of your name. That, that's that's the level of reputation Aronofsky has. And you know, you can see that because in the trailer, all they're talking about are the performances in the trailers. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And at first I was like, well, maybe this was kind of like a a one for them type movie for an Aronofsky. But apparently this was a passion project of his. So I don't know. Uh, So, yeah, this is this is a movie that this is a film that barely gets into a flush. But man, the performance is fucked. The performances are why you want to watch this. If you want to be moved, if you want to be moved, if you want to be horrified, if you if you want to experience almost every emotion, human emotion under the sun in one movie, this will be the one to do it. But it is, and this is a genuine word of warning, guys. This movie is emotionally devastating. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I actually think it is legit important for some a viewer to know that it's like you want to watch this you can watch this but it is emotionally devastating if you're okay with that go for it you'll love it there there are some there are some elements we haven't talked about because we don't want to necessarily spoil the film Mm -hmm. but let's just say at least for me these elements were very well executed even though again the actual camera work and editing left a lot to be desired uh Again, I, I feel like if Aronofsky gave this screenplay a, another couple passes, he really could have nailed down the character of Ellie, played by Sadie Sink. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if if he had maybe, maybe COVID-19 is what caused this to not have as crazy camera angles and camera moves. Actually, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Who, who knows? I don't know. Uh, but I'm just shocked because Maddie Labique, like his DP, is pretty well known for being a little bit crazy with the camera, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? So, uh, yeah, uh, that's been our review of The Whale, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And don't forget to tip your waiter. Good night, everybody.